probably heard this song over the past week or so, Rich Men North of Richmond, the out-of-nowhere viral protest song by Oliver Anthony. It's the number one single for the second time. Um, Rich Men was uploaded to YouTube just weeks ago by the largely unknown Anthony, which then it quickly uh, caught fire as an angry cry against uh, corporate and political elites, though it also takes shots at welfare recipients as well. Joining me on a discuss the unprecedented leap to number one on the music charts is Eric Alper. He's a publicist and music commentator at thatericalper.com. Eric, thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I find this uh, uh, song and this entire story uh, incredibly interesting. What do you make of the this song, Rich Men North of Richmond, uh, by Oliver Anthony, just uh, skyrocketing, and not with the usual promotion uh, from the music industry? Yeah, zero help from the normal gatekeepers of the music industry. No radio, no major label in terms of a Universal or Sony or Warner Music, the big worldwide companies pushing it. Zero publicists on his team. He's got a manager that he's had for a number of years while he was slogging it out, playing to state county fairs. And then all of a sudden, this song just started getting traction. And I think a large part of it had to do with the success and the controversy before this with Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town, because that song really took a hold of politics and music. It completely sided with the Republican side and the politics in America and what was going on. And in fact, it was almost being outsold on iTunes more than people were streaming it. So that told you that there was a lot of people that were almost supporting what that song meant by buying it as opposed to listening to it because they thought it was a really great song. And regardless if you think that Try That in a Small Town is a good song or not, the fact that people were buying it in an era where people just don't buy music anymore just kind of tells me a little bit that they wanted to stick it to the so-called liberals and all of that stuff. But Mm -hmm. This song, Rich Men of North Richmond, started out with the same way. It started out being with and kind of being co-opted by the Republican Party who used it for their various um, campaign speeches and stumping. And it kind of took off from there. And now it's the second week at number one on the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah, what I find interesting, and, and he's come out and already said that, it, you know, he doesn't, um, you know, doesn't see eye to eye with... Uh, uh, conservative media. He also, uh, you know, he, the, as he said, he, these songs are about the very people who now want to take ownership of yeah. it, whether it be conservatives or Democrats. Um, yeah. In this case, he even took, a, you know, in, in lyrics, he talks about those that are uh, collecting welfare as well. He seems, I mean, I guess at, the, at its core, he's really, really hitting a political and cultural moment where whether it's high interest rates, uh, whether it's just frustration at the entire political class, the inequality that's out there, this song seems to encapsulate that core frustration that many people have, not just in the U.S., but in Canada as well. Oh, absolutely, and and that's the entire thing, because if this song was 
lyrically a love song or it didn't touch politics whatsoever, it would have been dead in the water because the truth is that politics is way more powerful than any of the traditional hype systems that are in place in the music industry. When the music industry tends to not want to cause any controversy, you know, they they really want to reach the core center of where a Taylor Swift is or a Beyonce is. They don't really like people to be able to move the culture in controversial ways. They want to sell to everybody. You know, like Michael Jordan said, um, you know, even Republicans buy basketball shoes. So he never really wanted to be outspoken on that. So the right-wing interpretation of rich men north of Richmond um, might be fading a lot every single hour that passes simply because he came out in that video and told people what the song was about and told people essentially that you've got it all wrong, which is which is strange, I think, because you and I remember, I think a lot of the listeners too, that you know Bob Dylan and Neil Young were pretty outspoken in their songs, but they always said that they were no better than you, that mm-hmm. they didn't know that they didn't have all the answers. Bob Dylan even said, the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. What does that mean? Bob Dylan doesn't even know. So, you know, when you direct, when you have a hit and you directly tell the large audience what it's about, sometimes it loses a little bit of luster. And so it's going to be interesting to see if it still holds as popular um, this week than it does next week. Because right now, Try that in a small town is nowhere to be seen in the in the top rung of the of the Hot 100. Hmm. Um, the issue of a song coming out of nowhere, as you said, uh, without the usual uh, music industry promotion machine behind it, how rare is that? I mean, people talk about you know the the, the gatekeepers. You don't need them necessarily. You have a distribution network, which is. YouTube today, streaming services that you don't need to go to the through traditional channels, but one would argue, from where I sit anyway, it's still very difficult to bust through, isn't it? For for an artist that that, that doesn't have that traditional marketing machine behind them. Oh, it's almost impossible. You know, it would be the equivalent of you and I starting a movie tomorrow and expecting to get it on Netflix by Thursday. Like it it's nearly impossible which makes everything mind-blowing um when it comes to the success. You know, there there are artists that can kind of break through. Somebody like a Little Nas X that came from nowhere and did Old Town Road and then suddenly did all the duets with um with Miley Cyrus's father and did it with a couple of K-popers. But he was able to sustain that keeping on social media, being really funny taking every opportunity that came his way. Um, but, you know, those those kind of artists are few and far between. So when you're somebody, um, when you know, when you're somebody like an Oliver Anthony, um, you better have something coming very, very shortly because our, our ability to take a look at, because nothing sticks anymore. Mm-hmm. And so if he doesn't have something coming down in the next couple of weeks, he's just going to be forgotten about. But, and I'd love to eat my words, but yeah, it's definitely next to impossible, which makes this story even bigger and even better. But then it proves that, you know, anything can happen on social media and you never know when something is going to connect and click. Mm-hmm. Now you raised, you mentioned Bob Dylan, and when you think of protest songs or people speaking to 
um, you know, political issue. You can think of the 60s in the civil rights movement. To a certain degree, you can talk about hip-hop and uh, uh, that genre, certainly in its early days, speaking to uh, the uh, the inner city and 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 the African American experience, there was yeah. a politics and the ability to dress and communicate a certain politics and speak to a political movement. Uh, that seems few. That seems sort of far between now. Like you don't get a lot of political songs anymore. Uh, you know, these things are busting through, like the song that we're talking about. But generally speaking, at the corporate level, at big, at the at the, at the um, music industry level, you're not seeing too many songs that are speaking to a, a political movement or a cause as much. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong here. But they're not talking about politics anymore or singing to them. Yeah, no, because most of the time, especially in America, where there's only a handful of ownerships for all of the radio stations that play music, um, nobody wants to divide their audience. You know, people look to music um, as a way of kind of shutting out the world, and many people just don't want to be scolded or told that they're wrong or right that early in the morning. Even though that talk radio thrives on that, you never know who your audience is. But mm-hmm. the big difference is that Bob Dylan and Neil Young put years of their lives in music and already had established that audience before they went pretty heavy political. Um, even something like a Fortunate Son song by Creedence Clearwater Revival, if you listened to their past work, you knew what side of the fence they were on. They had long hair, they wore, you know, pre-grunge, you know, mm-hmm. kind of clothing with torn jeans and plaid. You knew that if you were going to buy a CCR album, that they were pretty heavy on the hippie side. Um, and it wasn't a surprise when they suddenly went, you know, a, a little bit all in with the Vietnam experience. And most of the people who were under the age of 25 that were a musician back in the 60s were all against Vietnam because they knew people that were going to go. So that was almost a no-brainer. It would be like artists now, if there was a draft in Canada, a mandatory draft, every artist would be spoken out. But there hasn't been that kind of spirit probably you know, in the last number of decades, the real only ones that I can think of would be during the Black Lives Movement when you had Beyonce making a whole bunch of protest songs or Kendrick Lamar, um, but never cracking the top 10 with them simply because they just didn't have the support because that's not radio's job. Mm-hmm. Eric, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. We'll talk soon.